0: So Brett, have you ever seen that YouTube video where someone takes Tim Allen's face and uh, it's like doom, so they make everything in the game Tim Allen, and then they make every sound the Tim Allen grunt?
1: No, no, I've never seen that. I'm kind of familiar with with what you're talking about, which is um, taking all the textures Yes. Of the game and replacing them with an image. Uh, I've, I've never seen the Tim Allen one, though. That's a new one.
0: Wait, so what other ones are out there? I didn't know that this was a genre that I needed to explore. Yeah,
1: it's a meme. Um, <laughs> I I can't remember which ones I've Is seen. Is genre being
0: like... too generous to the movement?
1: I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember which ones I've seen. It's usually some... It's very meme-y. Uh, like, someone probably took Pepe the Frog and yeah all the textures (laughs) right
0: um but yeah the tim allen one is it's pretty amazing i mean like certainly having all the game textures be tim allen is is by itself really just like chef's kiss um (laughs) Because you can't see me. But uh, <laughs> but when they add in the Tim Allen grunt, that right. that That's really brings it all together.
1: Uh, I can see that. Um, I'm not as much of a gamer as I used to be, but I do have to say one of the most satisfying sounds in video games is probably the sound of the shotgun reloading uh-huh. in Doom. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so satisfying, especially because Doom is a horror game. And you're faced with these, uh, like an impossible swarm of alien monsters and you can't get out. But the shotgun is so powerful in that game. So just unloading a shotgun into a room full of baddies. Oh, it's so nice. I
0: don't know. I feel like there's a lot of existential terror to be felt just with that home improvement grunt.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I could see that too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, shall we get started?
1: Let's do it.
0: Who are we? We are Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, I'm a rom-com fan.
1: I'm Brett, I'm a horror fan.
0: And together, we make each other watch a movie each week from each other's genre. I pick a romance, or a rom-com, or a comedy with romance elements in this case, Mm -hmm. and Brett picks a horror, and then we like to switch it up. We take those rom-coms, and we take those horror movies, and we reverse their genres. So we're gonna take it that rom com and turn it into a horror and take that horror and turn it into a rom-com. And we each have our own individual spin on this. Sometimes, Brett, you surprise me and you write some some fun rom-coms that I would Oof. I would see, but by the sound you just made, I'm I'm guessing that am I am I not gonna wanna see your
1: forbidden no. world rom com? No, not at all. <laughs> you no, know, I'll, I'll get into it later. I uh, I went full Corman on my rom-com pitch.
0: I didn't know that you could... I, I feel like <laughs> Roger Corman and rom-com are kind of mutually exclusive. Right. I mean, there are, like we've discussed before, there are some directors out there who have done rom-coms and they've done horrors. Yeah. Um, even, you know, our old boy Alfred Hitchcock has oh, done yeah. a rom-com, Mr. and Mrs. Smith before Brad Pitt and Angelina. That's also a rom-com, though. Um, But, yeah, Roger Corman is not somebody who I would ever... And, in fact, there was a lot of... I mean, I had to remind myself that that Forbidden World was in 1981. Right. Is when it was released. But the casual misogyny in this movie is just (laughs) off the charts. Like... I thought that the Lorena documentary reminded me how things were before feminism, but this was like yeah. something else. But so do you like, you like Roger Corman produced movies a lot? Uh,
1: no, I haven't seen that many of them. I know he's probably got like over 500 movies that he's made. I've probably seen, I could probably count on one hand how many movies I've seen.
0: Is he like the Norman Lear of sci-fi? yeah. So- Oh, yeah. Probably. I also noticed that, like, Roger Corman, like, helped a lot of directors on the come up. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, like, Bogdanovich, Scorsese, even. He helped, like, break some careers, Yeah, too. James Cameron. Um, yeah, James Cameron. We're, we're, like, I wonder, like, if you were James Cameron in 1981, and he made the first Aliens, Right.
1: Uh, oh, wait no. no, am I? That was, I'm, uh, Scott. Oh, yeah, that's
0: Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sci-fi Nerd. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> It's easy to get confused though, because he made both the Terminators. Yeah. So
0: I just I like I wonder like what James Cameron thought in 1981 when this this flick came out because it's just such a. It's not even trying to cover up the fact that it's a ripoff of other
1: Well, apparently, um, I think it was Battle Beyond the Stars is one of the movies where they used some of the footage from that movie in Forbidden World. But it was that movie where, like, um, Roger Corman wasn't happy with the art direction. Mm. And so he basically fired everyone. And something happened where, like, James Cameron was out getting coffee because he was just an intern or something. James Cameron was out getting coffee, so... When he returned from getting coffee, he didn't realize he was fired and he kept working or someone vouched for him or there's some crazy story out there where James Cameron like almost got fired by him, but then was basically put in charge of the entire art department by
0: him. Those are some big swings of fortune. And yeah, and he
1: basically started his career off uh, like kind of by luck making sets for Roger Gorman and... Yeah, and then he'd go on to like direct, I think, Piranha 2, and then he got fired from Piranha 2, and then he snuck in the building to edit Piranha 2 while no one was there. And uh, That's a Roger good story. Corman, <laughs> Corman and Cameron are, seem like two very interesting, like very hard to work with, but very interesting people to work with.
0: I hope they feuded a lot.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that's probably why he was fired from Piranha 2.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs>
0: that's great. Man, so I guess we should talk a little bit about why we chose sci-fi. For me, it definitely had to do with the fact that, like, per the last episode, I've been reading a lot of sci-fi romance recently. And so I was feeling in the mood for a a sci-fi movie. Um, I wish that there were more romances in the genre. I feel like when rom-com meets sci-fi... It's usually like with speculative fiction, like about time is about right. the main character knows how to time travel. Or maybe there's like a body switch or it's it's yeah. more like, like what if scenarios. Very rarely do we get romantic plots in space and then when we do they, they're terrible. Like I, I didn't see passengers, but the plot Ooh. seemed so Icky. That yeah. I just didn't, like, it did not appeal to me at all. And and also, I do think that a good rom-com is, is built on a great extended universe. So to have only two characters right. really takes away from a lot of the color that you can use in a rom-com, which comes from the supporting characters.
1: Like well, I they just have, like, don't... a robot butler. Uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever.
0: And here, okay, one thing, maybe you can answer this question, maybe you can't. Why is it in every sci-fi film or, or thing, AI has to be a stuck-up British butler? I mean, did Star Wars yeah. just set the tone and then everyone after that was like, I'm going to make my AI to be a starchy British butler well, boy? Well, Forbidden
1: World is, um, it goes more along the route of like Full Metal Alchemist, where it's like, you know, have you seen that one?
0: I haven't. That's one of the animes that like everyone's seen, like like
1: right.
0: Evangelion, where I just I never got around to it.
1: I watched the first three uh, seasons of it, but I missed... Of Brotherhood. I, you know, anime right. is always so complicated. But I watched the first three seasons of Brotherhood and just sort of fell off and never finished out the show. But, you know, there's like the big guy in the suit of armor who's actually uh-huh. like a little kid. Isn't That's, he his brother? Yeah. That's, That's what so I felt sad. like Sam was in Forbidden World. He was like this you know, AI, but he was kind of a little kid. He sounded like a little kid anyway.
0: Yeah, like they did try to like purposefully have him get his like words wrong in in certain instances, but he still has starchy butler taste when he puts on Beethoven's piano concerto at the beginning. But again, like I, I feel like only Stanley Kubrick made the decision to make his ai malevolent everybody else wants to make their ai to be like starchy british boys well, yeah, you i don't want to scare
1: everyone off <laughs> <laughs> you don't want it to be too scary
0: or now i feel like the new star wars are trying to make their uh ai like um whoever the supporting comedian voice actor is going to be right <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, good call. Uh, Alan Tudyk in Rogue One was really good.
0: Yeah, oh, man. Well, Alan Tudyk is just amazing in right. general. Like, talk yeah. about a sci-fi all-star. I never got into... Um, what's that show um, with Nathan Fillion? and Alan, oh, Firefly? And I never got into Firefly, but show. he's... But, it you know, a Alan show. Tudyk yeah, is yeah, yeah.
1: the... The He's a, the navigator, oh,
0: the ship driver, right. <laughs> the pilot—that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, what do you what do you like about sci-fi, and and what do you like about sci-fi horror? Um,
1: I really like sort of the campiness of it. I really like how you can um, sci-fi is that genre where it's um, like if you want to meet us halfway, we will give you an amazing experience. It's why I really dug Godzilla growing up is cuz mm. if you're just watching Godzilla to make fun of it, you're like okay, it's two guys in suits. Okay, whatever. This is dumb. But if you're watching it to take it seriously, it's an like, environmental oh,
0: crisis. Yeah, no, uh,
1: like later Godzilla It's not no. the oh. serious <laughs> one. Um it's uh like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah is a freaking badass fight you know like they destroy stuff they ruin stuff it's really awesome and cool if you're willing to again meet the movie halfway
0: do you so you say meet them halfway are you saying that if we were a little bit more like the thermians in galaxy
1: quest yeah then
0: we would enjoy our stories more Mm,
1: mm yes, <laughs> that is exactly what I'm saying. If we, uh, if we, yeah, if we, um...
0: At least for yes. the moment to allow ourselves to believe, even knowing right, that it's right. pretend.
1: Yeah, if we suspended that disbelief, if we went full suspension. Right. Um, yeah, so I just really like the world building. I like the goofiness. I like the silliness, but I like... You know, I like stories where by the midway point we can kind of reach a climax, and then the story can go like, but it's not over. Kind of like a uh, Hitcher. Oh Hitcher's yeah. Hitcher's like the halfway point. You're like, there's nowhere else they can go from here, and Hitcher's like, oh <laughs> ah ah, we still have half a movie to go. <laughs> well, that
0: Rudger Hauer, he's trixie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. See, so yeah. So how about you? I guess you already kind of explained it.
0: I I feel like sci-fi is a fun genre, and one that I wish that we saw more romance in because I feel like the tech in sci-fi allows you to do interesting things or explore plots and ideas that you couldn't before. And then I've also noticed that a lot of sci-fi, for some reason in the future, the class system is real strong like and in fact like monarchy seems to come back in fashion really often in sci-fi stories
1: For um
0: so you could i think in space or in a sci-fi setting do a story that would normally be like a sense and sensibility or like a regency style historical romance where there's like manners and class and Highborn born ladies and low-born smugglers <laughs> um but you could do a plot line that would normally be seen as traditional or stayed and then elevate it through the sci-fi setting it's just like how like a gothic setting just you know can really elevate what would be just a normal creepy uncle story right, <laughs> in stoker right. or something like that yeah. um, It's like, again, like it's a genre that's like, like as much about um, the aesthetics as the Mm -hmm. tropes, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get you. This whole movie, um, Forbidden World kind of lives and dies off of its aesthetic. (laughs) There's, yeah, there's not it really too does. much going else in, there's not too much else going on in the movie but. I
0: wish somebody at some point had asked like why are you guys putting all your takeout boxes on the walls <laughs> right and like I wish that like it, it, if I were to do like a sci-fi comedy today I would lampshade something like that and it's like oh we recycle <laughs> yeah but um yeah no I I do <laughs> I do like that they they did that although there are there are some problematic things in the world, Yeah, <laughs> I, I just like, my notes had a lot of exclamations and question marks in some places where I was like, why? Uh, so I think we, we should go into
1: we, that one you wanna first. You want to go yeah, into that yeah. one
0: first? I,
1: and I do want to say, I know that there's probably better choices that I could have picked. No, no, no. But I didn't want to you. go with, you know, the classics because there's probably like a hundred podcasts that are about The Thing or Alien. Or, oh,
0: yeah. No, I'm yeah. I'm glad you chose this because I think it's going to be fun to talk about and fun to twist the, yeah. the genre. Um, I definitely think like if... And certainly I haven't always chosen movies because I thought that they were right. good. I chose them because they were illustrative of the genre, or because I hadn't seen them and wanted to.
1: Right. Yeah. Which... This was definitely one of the movies where, as I was uh, googling sci-fi horror, I was like, "Ah, eh, seen it. Eh, too much of a classic. Ah, eh, you know, been there, done that." But when I saw Forbidden World, I was like, "This one's got some name recognition. It's got some cult classic status. I'm aware of, but I haven't seen it." And then once I uh, saw that it was produced by Roger Corman, I was like, oh, well, we got to get a Corman movie
0: in here. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of a similar person in that sometimes if I I like a a director, producer or actor, I find myself to be more of a completionist where I just I just want to see I just want to see what they've done, even if it's good or bad. Like, man, like there's some deep cuts out there for your favorite directors, folks, and they're fun. Um, but yeah, so, so going back to Forbidden World, let's try to summarize this bad boy. (laughs) Now it's only 78 minutes long, but a lot still happens. Oh yeah. I've noticed that in some of our shorter movies where I've thought like, oh man, this is going to be easy to summarize, but then actually a lot happens. Um, so here we go. So we open with a ship wandering deep space, a robot, Sam... 104 104 selects Beethoven piano concerto number one from the future tape collection um, but for some reason all of the piano parts are cut out and we're only hearing the orchestral parts I know that that was not a design of the movie but as it 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 bothered me <laughs> <laughs> on a completely idiosyncratic and just sheer level right. I was confused because there are so many There's so many people, like they could have chosen a symphony. They didn't need to choose the piano concerto. I don't know why they wanted that particular theme. It's a major theme. I'm not, Kubrick has better classical musical taste. I'm just going to say that. Um, But so Sam wakes up the professional troubleshooter. That's his job title, by the way. Mike Colby from Stasis because there's some bad guys tailing the ship. So Sam and Colby deal with the bad guys, and then Sam tells Colby that his mission has been extended. So they hyper jump to a genetic research station on the desert planet, Zarbia, where there's a problem for Colby to troubleshoot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a tech problem, though. It's bigger than that they meet Dr. Gordon Hauser and sexy Dr. Barb Glazer who immediately makes it clear to Colby that she is down to clown. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Ooh, yeah. Things are getting lonely on this station. <laughs> Never mind that there's a serious problem that they have to deal with. She's I think she's way more concerned with like getting down than It's been a
1: while since she's seen a new guy around.
0: I guess yeah. so, but that makes Earl super mad, Her the, another guy on the ship. Um, so this problem turns out to be genetic research subject 20. Subject 20 has been spliced with a synthetic DNA called proton B. As a result, the sub subject 20 has killed all the other lab animals and mm-hmm. created a cocoon in the glass case of the center of the lab. While everyone is having a weird sci-fi future dinner, uh, yeah, like <laughs>
1: rice krispie treats and candy drizzle. <laughs> yeah, rice krispie
0: treats, candy drizzle, blue drinks. Oh yeah. Um, also, everything in this imagined future is made out of lucite, which is like this like fancy, durable plastic. And so, even like the handles of the forks are right. this weird plastic. It they just make the future look like a really uncomfortable place instead of a place where we have better technology. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they they just they they hadn't seen the Apple Store yet in 1981. Um. So so subject twenty is in the cocoon. Everyone's having the future dinner. Uh, And then Jimmy, a crew member who was assigned to clean up the lab room, opens the glass case where Subject 20 is. He puts his entire head inside the case. And then Subject 20, which at this point in its development, Subject 20 kind of looks like a black starfish. It attaches to Jimmy's face. And then Jimmy just, just... destroys the lab like a bull in a china shop before Mm -hmm. getting taken out. So the rest of them find him and Dr. Cal, who's he's a wacky doctor in the Loomis tradition. uh, He claims that Jimmy's heart is still beating and takes him to another lab room. Uh, And then that night, Dr. Barb propositions Colby and they go back to her room to have some soft focus sex. Um, Earl, another crew member who used to date Dr. Barb, gets jealous and decides to watch them on the security camera without their consent. See, I didn't
1: know if he was watching them or not because I found that very confusing. Oh,
0: he was totally watching them. Because
1: it never definitively shows a shot of him watching them on a monitor, but it kind of infers like that he's watching them on a monitor I thought that they did show it or it shows him flipping through monitor stations, but I don't think it ever shows like an actual shot of them on a camera.
0: I thought that it did. Maybe I was mistaken. I I thought I missed
1: it, but I
0: thought that he was for sure watching them because he was definitely like he was like pulling this weird. Right, yeah, he's got
1: that like yo yo type (laughs) toy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh man. That was that was by far... the And he's getting
1: all sweaty. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Yeah, like, okay. It, it's one thing that we have to watch this, like, 80s sex scene with these... Like, the 80s had, like, a very weird definition of aesthetics. I, right. I feel like, like, a man that was handsome in 81 is not the man that's handsome in 2019. Like, our tastes have definitely changed. Yeah, I liked
1: how they kind of used... Like, they kind of treated Mike as if he was sort of this, like rugged good-looking kind of guy when he's I know, he really, looked like like a dad he looked like an like a boxer who kind of retired out you know like i mean
0: he had a nice body but like yeah. he just looked like a regular guy like right yeah <laughs> like he he looked like middle management which is what i imagine <laughs> a troubleshooter is sure. in sure. in the federation system um but yeah so this sex scene is transposed with Earl, a close-up, an extreme close-up of Earl's sweaty, angry face. And so I wrote here, after getting angry, turned on, or both, Earl notices an alarm warning and he goes to check it out. Subject 20, having grown more than kills him. Now the next day, this is what really infuriated me. Oh yeah. The next day, Tracy Baxter, the only woman, the only other woman on the ship, and also Jimmy's grieving girlfriend, she decides to do some self-care by having a steam bath, and then Colby comes into the steam bath, and she tells him to leave multiple times, oh, and yeah. he does not leave. But then her reaction in 1981 is to then order him to take his clothes off if he's going to stay so they'll be even. Right.
1: Well, yeah, it's all, yeah, it's... Equality. It's feminism. Why
0: thought you were a feminist? Not since the butter (laughs) spilled in Halloween have I seen such a transparently male written (laughs) dialogue. Like even the butter scene in Halloween where she takes off her clothes makes more sense to me. Well, yeah, you get butter
1: on her clothes, you take off your clothes. Right,
0: right. But like you don't just stay after a woman tells you to leave multiple... Well, she's
1: in danger. He's trying to get her out of danger.
0: She doesn't know that. <laughs> but but still, regardless, they... It, Colby... Dr. Barb is not enough for Colby. He He just right. wants more. And to be fair, I was reading about the actress who played Tracy Baxter. She wasn't in a lot of movies, but apparently... One of the producers of the film met her and was like, you have to put this woman in Whoa. this movie. And and they didn't want to put her in the movie. Yeah. I mean, no
1: offense, but <laughs> she's not particularly <laughs> she, good in the she's movie. She's
0: really not a great... She is a beautiful woman. Right. But she is not a great actress, and it, that but also old, in her
1: defense, she's eh, maybe not really given a lot to work with. She's she's given
0: like zero to work with, and so. and it gets crazier later. Um, let's just say that the the that the dimension on these female characters is is limited. Um, so Tracy and Colby are are chatting with each other. Subject twenty breaks into the sauna through the ceiling. Um, but they escape, um, and then Subject 20 gets outside the station right. onto the desert planet. So the boys go into the desert to look for Subject 20, and when they find it right outside, and it's literally right outside, um, Dr. Gordon then gets killed. We learn the truth about Subject 20. Oh, yeah, he
1: gets killed like, uh, kind of like uh, Samuel Jackson in Deep Blue Sea. Oh yeah, but it's kind of like out of nowhere. This thing comes out from underneath and grabs them and drags them in, and everyone's kind of taken aback. And oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah.
0: No, they it, that one didn't get me. The only time that this movie actually managed to to make me flinch was when um, Subject Twenty in the starfish form, even though I knew that oh, was yeah. coming, mm-hmm. it they still got me. It's it's like when a when a small black thing flies at you, like a bat. it, it Hard not to react. Um, but so subject 20 is actually the result of Dr. Gordon splicing his own cells with proton B, using them to fertilize an egg that was then implanted in the, in the uterus of a crew member, Annie, who then died as a result. So basically, subject 20 is a baby.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, meanwhile... <laughs> Dr. Barb and Tracy are having a heart to heart while showering together. And to call what they're doing showering together is really generous because, like, I don't, I've never seen anyone wash their hair in a movie this way. Dr. Barb puts some, like, liquid soap in her hand and then holds up a strand of Tracy's hair and is, like, petting it with the. The like soap, it was right. so. I mean, even if this is
1: future soap, it was very weird. So you know, you must have got the extended cut because I didn't get that. Oh, you scene. didn't.
0: You didn't get the showering scene. No,
1: they 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 allude to it. They cut to it a few times in this weird oh, way. Oh, the
0: flashes.
1: Yeah, but they don't ever actually show it outright. So I was like, this must be from the extended cut.
0: Wow, I yeah, guess yeah, yeah. I guess I did. And Amazon's got the extended cut. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh. Um, but yeah. So in in the scene that I got to see, the extra scene that wound up on the cutting room floor, they shower together, and Dr. Barb has this idea that Subject Twenty is intelligent. So if the ladies talk to Subject Twenty, it will leave them alone. Which is the stupidest idea anyone's ever had? I really think
1: it... so. I thought it was really smart and really? good. Really? Yeah, are I, th- you I was. Yeah, I was mad that everyone else was making fun of her for it. Yeah, it's an it's an alien thing, but it's an intelligent creature, and it, it's they understand its wants, which are to eat, and so they're trying to communicate. They're trying to solve it non physically. I thought I... it was really nice. I don't know. Uh, they don't use it. Like they, they go to the computer, type, 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 and then the end. But
0: maybe I'm just more like one of those imperialist commanders in a sci-fi movie, like you know, I like the so. one like in Kong first, who wants later. to to kill Kong. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, is that Samuel Jackson in Kong? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm like Samuel Jackson in Kong. Yeah. Shoot first, talk later. Um, but all right, all right. Now I I've heard an alternate op- opinion. I'm. I mean, I just... Maybe I was insulted because I was thinking that the writers would be like, of course the women would think you could talk to it. Sure. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like, Barb has an idea. They're going to talk to it. And so Tracy agrees. And then the women put on two short robes instead of getting dressed. Like, I I, just, I, don't, I understand why we want this. Because there's no time for pants. <laughs> there, there's really no... Like, I just... Why? Like, they could have put on pants if they wanted to or their little jumpsuits, but it's just more compelling if they're right. in their little shorty robes. Um, I, I... Like, even... Even in Barbarella, I was willing to accept the fan service there because she had some really great outfits. Um, they, there was some good costume work on, on her right. fan service. Whereas in this movie, you just have these terry cloth robes and then two jumpsuits, one of which they dyed pink, but badly. So that you know
1: it's for a girl.
0: Well, yeah, well, Dr. Barb has a white jumpsuit, right. and then Tracy has a pink jumpsuit, but it's clear that they just bought the two jumpsuits in white, and then they dyed Tracy's pink.
1: Right, like they left it in the wash with a red shirt.
0: Oh, that's exactly, <laughs> that's a great, that is exactly what it looks like. Yeah, um, so they they go in their little short robes and bare feet to meet with Subject 20, Uh, And Barb tries to talk to it, and Subject 20 stabs her through the chest. Like, pretty much right away. Pretty much right away, Subject 20 has shown that (laughs) they are not receptive to pacifism. Um, So then Tracy runs to the boys, uh, and another crew member, Brian, he, he dies by being electrocuted by monster juice. He's, like, trying to fix something.
1: Right, yeah, so it's cocooned back up. And he's trying to fix one of the panels for mm. s- for some reason I don't know so they can escape.
0: He's trying to get into position to die, um, right? And, and it,
1: it sort of squirts some juice on him, and he, that causes him to get electrified. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. I mean, I we knew he was he was gonna be gone from the beginning, and then Doctor Cal, our resident crazy scientist. Figures out that cancer cells can kill Subject 20. So he orders Colby to cut out a tumor from his stomach. Uh, There's nothing like emergency surgery in a sci fi movie. I do enjoy that as a trope. Yeah. Um, Dr. Cal obviously dies. uh, And then Colby manages to get the tumor out. And when Subject 20 corners him and Tracy, Colby tosses the tumor into Subject 20's giant maw and then it
1: dies. Uh, and I like how at one point, uh, Colby drops the cancer blob, and tra- and uh, it's, who's the, what's her name? Tracy, right? Tracy, yeah. Tracy, like, instead of picking it up and taking action, she picks it up and puts it back in his hand, and is like, okay, here here it is, now go fight him again.
0: Right, well, because only Colby is right. badass enough to, to kill it.
1: To put his hand in the mouth, and. Take it out, yeah.
0: What did you think the deal was with... um, So at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie, there is a flash, like a montage, future flash of things to come. And then at the very end of the movie, when um, Colby and Tracy are standing over the mutant, um, there's another flash, the same flash, of everything that happened right what do you think the point of that was
1: yeah I don't know I that's a good question I think it was kind of a missed opportunity to kind of have Mike be like listen I got a bad feeling about this one um you know like I I was you know I had another cryo dream and this this one doesn't feel right like and it just, there's, for some reason, it kind of gives us a preview, like a Mission Impossible style preview, like, you know, at the beginning of the movie. Right. And then at the end of the movie, they give us that sort of like, oh, look at all the sadness that happened. And they give us a sort of recap of all the characters and their tragic endings and yeah. I guess it's kind of to you know the movie's already really short, so it's maybe just to <laughs> pad out the runtime.
0: I do feel like it's a missed opportunity though, because like that—that's something that happens in sci-fi a lot, right? Where like cryo sleep goes awry, and you yeah. realize you were asleep.
1: well Prometheus. There's some <clears throat> there's some parallels between Prometheus here. You've got the cryo sleep dreaming, where like David is—is is it Michael or David? Uh, I can't remember. I'm I'm getting my Prometheus and Alien Covenant robots. I mixed mean, up. it's
0: Michael Fassbender, right? I think it's
1: David in D- Prometheus. I
0: think yeah, I think it's David in Prometheus. Um, like David. He's
1: watching uh, that one doctor sleep, and mm-hmm. it's, so it's kind of cool. And then there's like you said, the cool, you know, because that, that movie's a mess too. But um, there's that one that, cool. I an
0: emergency surgery. Yeah, too. that emergency
1: yeah. C-section thing, which is really awesome. Uh, I will say, though, Jimmy sticking his head inside the tank is, as stupid as that is, it's probably more believable than the biology expert sticking his finger inside the space cobra mouth.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Oh, Prometheus.
0: Oh, my God. Well, no, no, there was definitely some bad science in this movie. I don't Uh, know if you noticed there was a scene where Dr. Cal used his pinky finger... To scoop up a sample. No
1: gloves.
0: (laughs) No gloves. And then put it in like the whatever sample reader. And I'm like, it's got your goo all over it.
1: (laughs) I also liked how uh, the doctor, when we first meet him, he's got a bloody lab coat on.
0: And he doesn't change out of it. Yeah, he's
1: like, I left this lab all bloody so you could see what it looked like. And he just walks in he's like, yep, it looks like a bloody mess. All right, time to clean up. But uh, yeah, he goes back out, and he never once changes lab coats. He's just got a bloody lab coat for the rest of the movie. I thought that was really
0: yeah, that was amazing, especially <laughs> since it's this... very
1: like cartoon esque, where like a character never changes their 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 yeah though.
0: yeah no not even a palette <laughs> swap like he... right. and and like this conflict or this this troubleshooting session as <laughs> you might yeah. call it takes place over three days. So he had plenty of opportunity to to change that lab coat, but yeah, there there's some definite, very unscientific science happening in this movie. Uh, I'm trying to pull up my notes now, and then like some really just like bald ripping off of other sci-fi movies. Like I think I I made an audible sound. Right? I made a noise when um, you got the Forbidden Planet title and then we zoom through the title letters. Right. like It's like a Star Wars thing, right? And I'm like, ah!
1: Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. At one point, one of the crew members is playing like space saxophone. Oh, God. <laughs> that
0: was amazing. Guys, <laughs> so it was like. It was a saxophone made out of clear plastic that made right. like MIDI sounds. <laughs> that, yeah, I, yeah. I did like the space sax a lot. Oh, man, that was just amazing. Um, and God, that that sex scene was so weird. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, it was very gratuitous, uh, very 80s, like you said.
0: I mean I feel like it would have been fine if they didn't like I would have been fine watching this sex scene like in like oh these characters are getting down it's that it's that kind of like genre movie but then to like transpose it with the close up of Earl's face
1: yeah really gross
0: too, really gross like
1: and they could have really played up more on the scars and stuff. Because later when he's flirting oh, yeah. with Tracy, he's like, got this scar from a Namian battle axe. And then later she comes in and she's like, oh, talking about your scars again. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, the, the sex scene could have been a little a little more character development going on there. But <laughs> I also- Instead they're just like, eh, you're naked, start kissing.
0: I like that like the um, and the the mutant like subject 22 kind of looked like like a bunch of trash bags tied together. Like it was very formless. Yeah, I think it was and,
1: I really liked a lot of the special effects in this movie. It looked like
0: no face from Spirited Away.
1: But oh yeah, good call. It really did. Um, but I think it's mostly just the fact that if they ever showed it in full, then you would have realized right. like, oh, this doesn't look like I guess uh the Alien Queen in Aliens would have come out way later. Yeah, and I mean it's not um, like you have
0: like H.R. Giger doing your right. art design. No. <laughs>
1: um but yeah, I mean a lot of the special effects in this movie are really brutal. When Jimmy they showed Jimmy and like half his face is missing. I thought that was awesome. And then they show oh, yeah. him like skeletonized and then all goopy and
0: This movie may yeah. me miss practical effects, like For sure. I I think practical effects are just so much fun and they look, they look weight. Like even though they like they might not look as like, they might not move in the way that CGI moves, which I think that's like why CGI is the standard for a lot of stuff is because you can capture movement in a way that, that looks really slick. But just like the look of practical effects is it just, it seems so much fun. Like i Again, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief just because it looks cooler right. to have an actual thing than to just do it with computers.
1: Yeah, um, and it's also it kind of yeah it just adds more texture to a lot of the gross outness. Like, yeah, this movie really is an exploitation flick because, um, as even though it's very cartoony and very childlike in its logic. Uh, it doesn't hold back when it comes to gore. There's a lot of gore and there's a lot of brutal killing in this movie.
0: I did enjoy the brutal killings. Yeah, that that was that was definitely a, a highlight for me. Although, like as a hero, like Mike Colby, left a lot to be desired. Like he definitely yeah,
1: there's there's no character in that character. Like he kind of does the best with what he has, but
0: yeah he did more than um Michael Varton in Rogue, where yeah. like he was just like the plot designated hero. like it made sense that Colby would be the guy right because he's the troubleshooter, yeah, he's got to stop him,
1: but uh I will say this movie really kind of cemented my love of Arnold Schwarzenegger,
0: oh my God, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the ultimate troubleshooter
1: um because I mean. If you look at some of the silly movies Arnold's been in, you know, like Predator. I mean, Predator is super badass, but on paper, Predator is super silly. Um, Running Man is super silly. Um, You just take a lot of these really far out sci-fi, silly movies that just on paper seem like they should not work, and you give it to Arnold and he really sells every bit of that movie. This movie is like, the characters kind of have the same you know, they're put in the same place as Arnold, which is a really silly, low-budget movie, but they just don't have that X factor to really sell what they're doing.
0: It's just because Arnold is so charming. Yes,
1: he's full of charm. Like, I when people say he's a bad actor, I really, I truly don't know what they're talking about. because
0: I resist that, He
1: fully too. sells every single movie he's in. He makes every movie that he's in instantly more believable, which is crazy considering some of the movies he's in
0: well i think he's already so unbelievable right. that he as a as the least unbelievable thing in an entirely right. unbelievable universe it fits him very well but like man like yeah arnold arnold is special like i feel like you can see that just watching like pumping iron it's right. like this guy's gonna be something yeah so when when are we gonna get Arnold as president like Demolition Man?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like he, no, I guess he's well he's he's
0: not, he's not technically eligible right. yet.
1: Yet that'll change. Um, so who? I guess we should go into our um, our crushes. Our crushes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Ooh. Well, although I think that Tracy's an attractive young lady, and and I she's a very beautiful woman. I ended up looking up her very short IMD credit afterwards. I gotta say, I had a little crush on Sam. You know, I also like Beethoven. Maybe I don't say the right thing all the time. And I would probably be as disappointed having to deal with Colby as Sam is. Like, when they say they're like, oh, they don't need you,
1: they turn you off. And then the shit yeah.
0: hits the fan, they turn you back on again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, poor Sam. I, I also liked when, uh, when the doctor turned him on and was like, you know, status update. He's like, still doing all right. Hey, wait a minute. Shouldn't you be doing this instead? He's like, ah, I'll turn you off real quick.
0: Right. Uh, poor
1: Sam. <laughs> right, just because Sam
0: was a cock blocker.
1: <laughs> um... I really liked Mike in this movie, but um, I don't know. I guess if I had to go for like a crush, you know, that's kind of like... Someone who just tickles me in, in just the right ways. I'm going to go with Dr. Kale. I knew you were going <laughs> to pick Dr.
0: Kale. I Got knew it. Got that
1: Loomis vibe. I knew uh, it. As
0: soon as I saw Dr. Kale, I oh, was like, yeah. this is a Brett character. For sure. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> the, the fact that he keeps the bloody lab coat the whole time. My, my favorite scene with him is when he's like, is putting together what the alien is doing. And he's like, spitting biological jazz as he's like the proton cells are regurgitated into the human cells and they're formed in like He's coming up with all of this. He's like discovering it in the moment, but he's like really <laughs> proud of himself and he's kind of like riding that wave of like, yeah, and that's what it is. yeah, and then it must be this and then it must be that and it's uh it's like all I can describe it as is like biological jazz it's... biological
0: <laughs> jazz is a great yeah because like that's what it is like whenever there's like scientific jargon right. but in usually a it's
1: like. It's more cold and scientific. He's got this, like, really upbeat, like, oh, my God, you guys, I'm figuring it out kind of attitude.
0: Yeah, no, I <laughs> I agree. I like that about him, too. Like, out of all the right. doctors, Dr. Cal was by far the most essential doctor and yeah. the best character. Like, that that guy really, like, like he's one... I can tell like, that that guy's, like, a character actor that was like, right. this is a job, but he, like... And how badass
1: is it to be like, cut me open and take my cancer out. Use it as a weapon. And they're like, okay, we will, but uh, we should probably give you morphine. He's like, no time for morphine.
0: Right. No, Dr. Cal, (laughs) I would argue he's the real hero here. He doesn't molest any women, and he ultimately saves the day with his tumor.
1: Yeah.
0: That is a tumor. It's
1: not a tumor. It
0: totally is a tumor in this case. (laughs) All right, so let's get into these pitches. Let's do it. So, you're telling me that I'm not gonna like this rom com pitch? No, I
1: spent way, way, way more time on my Galaxy Quest one because I love Galaxy Quest as a movie. It's one of the best movies ever made.
0: It really is one of the best <laughs> movies of all time. Like, I it's so good to be totally honest with you, I took notes on Forbidden World, but then when I was watching Galaxy Quest, I started just Watching it and right. then I stopped taking notes completely. Yeah,
1: um, so I really wanted to do Galaxy Quest justice, which I hope I did. But for Forbidden World, I said I went full Corman. I basically wrote this pitch in like 15 minutes, which All is right. I heard that Corman gave his gave the writer um, directors like four days to write and produce and direct like the first 20 minutes of the movie as wow. like a pitch reel. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, so my movie is not very well thought out, but I make up for it with my Galaxy Quest pitch. Gotcha. Um, so my movie, I'm just going to call it Forbidden. I maybe Forbidden Love. Ooh. Uh, but I just have it as Mike Colby is, you know, basically the same. He's a fixer. He's alone. We probably have more of a setup. We can probably have, like, ten more additional minutes of, like, Him in his daily routine of like showing up to quote unquote fix something, you know, troubleshoot something and basically, you know, like kill it. Uh, He's very cold and harsh. He's kind of a killer. He, you know, he reveals to his other troubleshooting friends. He's grumpy. Yeah, he's very grumpy. Um, that, you know, we learn that his wife has died and we learn that he has cancer. And his cancer is very like old man Logan kind of cancer, where it's yeah. like causing to affect his, it's starting to affect his job. And, you know, he's kind of like getting weaker because of it. Um, but then he gets a call to go to an experimental lab and he's asked, oh, one of the things I didn't understand in Forbidden World, is the one doctor, the sort of evil doctor, Mm -hmm. they call him out to the experimental lab to basically kill the monster, but then the moment he shows up, they're like, no, you can't kill the monster. Like, his job is basically, am I misunderstanding that? His job is basically to kill the monster.
0: Right, And, and I think, like, Mike even says that like his entire philosophy is if it moves and it's not one of us shoot it which I was like, okay, Andrew Zimmerman, but, uh, like, um, but yeah, Dr. Hauser's like, no, I'm not gonna yeah, tell you what's yeah. going on, and you can't kill it.
1: Right. So I, I thought that was very confusing. Like, why did you even call him out? What did you expect him to do? Because the thing was already encased. In gla- like they already had the situation kind of under control,
0: right? All they needed to do was kill it,
1: right? Or keep the glass closed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is it is a baby though.
1: Um. So in my version, though, he's asked to kill Subject Twenty, and when he goes in, there's like you know, you know, like dead animals and stuff. But then he discovers that Subject Twenty is just a child. So he's about to kill Ooh. it, but he refuses. Oh, and it's like you know, he's he's really good at his job. He never fails. But then it's that thing of like. <gasps> oh, the guy who's always doing his job, even though it's to do bad things, finally decides to do the right thing. Oh,
0: lone so, wolf and
1: Cop. Yeah. So <laughs> they have to fight their way out. Um, and this is, you know, basically where my movie just kind of becomes a mess. Uh, along the way, they discover proto B uh, shots. And um, I don't know how we're going to give it to the child, the first time maybe it sort of like accidentally pokes her or something but basically they discover that every time they shoot subject 20 with one of the proto b shots it grows and so over the course of the movie we go from child to teen to late teens to 20s to 30s right and mike is like in his mid 40s um and then we also kind of learn over the course of the movie that the if subject 20 has like X number of proto B shots, it'll kind of reach a stable form. Cause right now it's sort of unstable.
0: Oh, Okay. And
1: the child also has like alien esque powers where like it can grow tentacles or like shoot little like poisonous nice. barbs or something, but like it can't really control its powers as a kid. So that's why it like, killed all the animals at first um so mike at first has to protect the child but then it grows into a teen and like it's very like teen angsty and then he kind of is like arguing with the child um and then he finds a proto b shot and he's like while they're arguing he just stabs it and shoots it with the shot that'll end
0: an argument right
1: and then it like grows up into a a later teen and um, it starts to help mike and then once they get into the the 20s they start to get their flirt on Wait, and they so start is
0: Mike gay straight or like what what is
1: well the 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 subject 20 takes on the form the of a woman
0: okay <laughs> right
1: so she so it's a she um, so they start flirting and getting all sexy with each other as they're escaping e- even
0: though Mike knew subject 20 as a baby i mean but her well, as no, a baby no because she's was growing yesterday. rapidly
1: hmm Right? So, um, so then, like, they even have a sexy scene where, like, as he's sh- injecting her with the shot, it's, like, very mm-hmm. sensual and sexy. <laughs> sensual
0: shots. And then
1: they get, when they get to the 30s version of Subject 20, they're, like, full-on making out and stuff okay. like that. Um, so then we get to the third act, which is um, they confront the evil doctor, and the doctor has combined as, like, his last... Like, sort of, haha! I'm going to screw you guys over. He's combined Proto-C, which is an experimental drug that cures cancer, and Proto-B Ooh. into one last injection. So it's like either Mike can cure his cancer or Subject 20 can become a stable human-type life form.
0: Oh, my God, an impossible they choice. Ch- they have to
1: choose. So uh, Mike grapples with the dock and as you know the dock is winning they drop the 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 shot, the you know the syringe, mm-hmm. and then Subject Twenty comes up and stabs Mike with the proto serum <gasps> because she
0: loves him,
1: right? Of course, and so it, it kind of acts like Popeye's spinach, like the cancer goes away and he gets like super strong. Oh, he gets you know? jacked. Oh yeah, and so then Mike ends up winning, and they just sort of like punch him, and you know they don't kill the doctor, they just kind of punch him and make him, you know, they knock him out. Uh, and as they rush out to their ship to escape, they grab a first aid kit and they go to their ship. And then while on the ship, Mike goes to shower and Subject 20 goes to, you know, uh, use the first aid kit and kind of heal up and maybe like bandage wound or something. Uh, but she goes through, maybe like something falls out of Mike's jacket pocket and she notices it's a picture of his dead wife Uh-oh. and so then she also notices as she's going through the first aid kit that there's one super secret vial of proto b oh, that was shut left behind up. so she takes the proto b and injects it and then when mike exits the shower who's waiting for him but a alien sexy subject 20 version of his dead wife
0: Wait no, she changed into the. That's her stable form. Yeah, but that's so, horrifying. I know, it,
1: but it's like it's it's horrifying in the passengers aspect where it's like it's meant to be sweet, but the actual like audience, <laughs> the the actual audience like takeaway is kind of like that's actually really disturbing if you think about it. Oh, but you're not meant to think about no. it. No. So basically, the movie ends with them flying off into space, making love. Uh, Yeah, and that's
0: sweet, sweet space love. Uh,
1: Yeah, I definitely kind of wanted to to have this movie end on something that was like the audience would groan and go like, "That's not right," but the characters in the movie are like, "Oh yeah, this is super sexy."
0: Oh yeah, like, like Tony Shaloub and his alien right. wife. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> I was with you until she turned into his dead wife.
1: Then I did my job right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. I think you you achieved what you set out to accomplish and I, I feel like you're you're a harsh critic on yourself because I I think with fifteen minutes that was pretty good.
1: Yeah, uh, it's not as fully fleshed out as some of the other ones I've done, but uh, it's got its it's got its own little B movie charm.
0: Right. I mean, you know, some some reverse pitches inspire us more than others. I mean, right. it just sometimes it goes that way. I kind of did the opposite as as you, where I. I spent good time on my rom-com pitch, but then when it came to uh, Galaxy Quest, I wrote a quick sketch Mm -hmm. um, and then I left it at that. But trust me, I have a lot to say about Galaxy Quest. So we we will definitely get into it. So for my rom-com reversal of the Forbidden World... I changed the title to Above Your Station, Okay. which is kind of a double entendre, which Forbidden World was filled with double entendres mm-hmm. where I was like, oh my God, like, is it yeah. ever going to stop? But I decided to stay with that for mine. And I will admit that the plot of my movie is majorly inspired by the books I was just reading, okay. Polaris Rising and Aurora Blazing. I'm not an original thinker, I, I steal from other people. Um, so act one. Oh, and the other thing I did with my version was kind of like Hiss where I didn't like the main character, I decided to create my own protagonist.
1: Okay. Bold move. Um,
0: it it was. Well I mean in his it was a King Cobra Snake Man. Right. Uh in Above Your Station Drake Atlas is a badass smuggler in the well-known tradition of swarthy badass space smugglers. And he's on the run from the Galactic Federation. Like any corrupt bureaucracy though, the Federation is receptive to bribery. So if Drake can avoid the law and make a big break, he can buy his freedom. He steals a Federation ship and Sam one, 104 robot from a Federation employee, troubleshooter Mike Colby. So we're leaving Mike behind. Drake is impersonating him. So Drake intends to take the ship and robot to his fence on the smuggler planet and then receives a distress call from a research station on planet Zarbia. So he decides, even though he's not really a troubleshooter, he's going to go check it out. On the way to the station, he also makes some changes to Sam's AI personality settings for entertainment and changes their behavior to resemble an old Southern woman instead of a British butler.
1: Gotcha. Because, I like
0: it. <laughs> I was like, I, I just want something against the mold. So yeah, I, I like a robot that says, oh, bless your heart. Right. Or, Drake, are you sure about that blaster? Uh, <laughs> so that that's part of the humor in this rom-com. And then at the station, Drake meets Dr. Gordon Hauser and Dr. Barbara Glazer along with the rest of the crew and proceeds to act more like a core smuggler instead of a Federation employee. You know, like kind of like like um, like Martin Lawrence in Blue Streak, when he's like yeah. a criminal, but they think he's a cop and Luke Wilson's all bumbly.
1: And he's a He's a really bad cop, but he's kind of got that street-smart savviness enough to explain it away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: So that's that's kind of what Drake is, is doing here. Um, and then Hauser, he's still concerned with their mutant problem, that he doesn't notice that Drake is weird, but Dr. Barb, she notices... And then Drake, for his part, he takes a good look at Barb and recognizes that she is actually Lady Barbara of House Emerson, one of the six families that run the Federation. The Fed has a bounty for Barb's capture and return to House Emerson that will will immediately release Drake from his crimes. So he decides he's going to kidnap her.
1: Oh, damn.
0: Uh, And then while the rest of the crew is having their weird sci-fi future dinner... Uh, Drake searches Barb's room for evidence of her secret identity. He's about to leave when he gets caught by Barb with a blaster at the door. Uh, She confronts him. They confess to their secret identities at the same time. And Barb is, she's really snooty because she's from one of the high houses. And she acts like she's above his station. Um, But she tells him that she'll go with him. If he can help them actually troubleshoot the problem, i.e. kill the mutant, um, because Hauser is trying to create super soldiers using a genetic mutation called Mm Proto-B, and Barb wants to steal the research to prevent Hauser from selling that research to the rival houses in the Federation. So she's trying to protect her political interests. Uh, And then Drake hears the word Proto-B and he reacts, but he doesn't explain why he decides to go with her plan. But now they've got an uneasy truce. So we're into the middle act. The mutant is growing, it's killing crew members, but Drake and Barb are too busy sexy bickering at each other to really notice the urgency. I mean, a lot of the great sci-fi romances are, are built on sexy bickering. They're really failing to work together as a team and the crew is starting to suspect things are weird. And then Earl, a really nosy crew member, tries to spy on him on them. And when he eavesdrops on them, he hears the truth about their identities. So he threatens to tell Hauser and hand them over to mercenaries. But then Drake incapacitates Earl and ties him up in Barb's room. This counts as a bonding experience for them. So this this draws them closer and Barb and Drake, they're now starting to trust each other after they were bickering before. So we get some more scenes where they demonstrate their competence and reliability, um, but things are getting out of control with the mutant. Now, with the help of Tracy Baxter, um, Barb is able to steal all the mutant research and delete it from the station server. Um, But they almost get caught by the mutant who's hacked into the computer systems because it's intelligent. Now, meanwhile, Drake is trapped with the monster and the crew and they're fighting. And Dr. Cal notices that the mutant doesn't seem to attack Drake at all. So he takes a sample of Drake's hair secretly. And then later, after they've been able to drive the monster back and isolate it, Dr. Cal examines Drake's hair and discovers that Drake's DNA has been spliced with Proto-B.
1: Whoa. And then
0: Dr. Cal tells Barb. So now Barb knows that Drake has features in common with the monster. She's shocked. um, And she considers leaving the entire station behind because now she has copies of the research. She doesn't have to do anything else and the originals have been destroyed, but now her loyalties have shifted because she's starting to be into Drake. So she confronts Drake in the med bay and she pulls a gun on him again and makes him explain. He reveals to her that he's a former Federation test subject for a super soldier project before they tried to create the super soldiers from embryos. They tested on adult human beings, of course.
1: Of course.
0: And Drake escaped, and he's been living the smuggler life ever since. So he tells her that he knows that she's duty-bound to take the research back to her house and consolidate power, but he warns her that they're going to use this research on people. So in a dramatic gesture, Barb destroys the research in front of Drake and throws down her blaster— she mutters again that she's above his station before giving him a big old kiss.
1: Aww. And
0: then he reminds her that if he weren't literally above her station, she and the crew would have been killed. Right. So we, we get some above your station wordplay. Um, and then Dr. Cal interrupts their little love moment, telling them the mutant's coming, that they can kill it with cancer. We do the same thing as the first movie. Drake throws Dr. Cal's tumor at the monster. And then afterwards, Drake and Barb are trying to say goodbye to each other because they're going to separate now. They're sad it's all over. But then as Barb is walking away to her escape pod, Drake catches up to her and asks her if he ever if she ever considered hiring security. And then we end with an epilogue of Barb and Drake about to launch their own expedition with a new crew. Gotcha. The end.
1: Yeah, that's really sweet.
0: Yeah, I don't I just I love like belligerent sexual tension between yeah. upper class prissy ladies and smuggler men like
1: right. Star Wars
0: really got that element right.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: If only it was just about that. I I think I speak for other rom com fans when I say we wish that Star Wars was just about Han Solo and Leia. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I
0: guess the wider I like plot Luke is interesting. Too. Yeah, I mean, I like Mark Hamill. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, I like how yours has that uh, sort of like inherently baked intention and, you know, sort of like two people who don't want to work together sort of reluctantly working together. But even when they have to work together, they're still like frenemies about it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they like totally go from, like slowly go from complete rivals to lovers.
0: Yes. Well, I feel like, Like a good enemies to lovers setup has to be built on the idea that these people are coming from very different perspectives. So, like class difference, you know, gender difference, like it it has to be baked in in such a way that where like they have very set perspectives and what they believe, and then the other person has to represent the other side. So, dirty smuggler versus highborn princess is a really great setup.
1: Yeah, no I uh, I totally agree.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Um yeah. So, uh, did you want to get into Galaxy Quest?
0: Let's do it. Let's quest the galaxy. You want to summarize this Oof, movie?
1: Boy, my summary is pretty, uh, pretty well in depth. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to go through it as quickly as I can. But feel free to jump in. Okay. Wherever you need to, because I this movie's so well written that like I didn't want to miss a single beat in my.
0: I know. In my it,
1: recap. It's just like every moment is either foreshadowing something or calling something back or setting something up or paying mm-hmm. something off. It's in uh, an hour and 42 minutes. They earn every single minute. Every minute. Movie. It's this movie is jam packed. It's so good. Uh, so we start off with the cast of galaxy quest sitting backstage of a convention waiting for Jason Nesmith, who played captain Peter Quincy Taggart. Uh, the crew consists of Gwen DeMarco who is Lieutenant Tawny Madison, whose one job on the ship was to repeat the computer. There's Alexander Dane, a thespian who regrets being typecast as Doctor Lazarus Doctor Lazarus, known for his famous revenge chant, Along with them are child, now grown up, actor Tommy Weber, who played the ship's pilot, and easygoing Fred Kwan, who played the ship's mechanic.
0: And Laredo also is a rom-com boy. He was the teacher in 10 Things I Hate About You.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. I Mm. was wondering where else I had seen him from. Yeah, wow, good call. Of course you would know that. Um, So when Jason finally does show up, he's the star of the show, and the audience loves him almost as much as he loves himself. But when Jason overhears some quote-unquote fans dissing him in the bathroom, this causes him to get snippy with some diehard questies led by Brandon and go home and drink himself to the point of a blackout. Jason is woken up by a group of overzealous weirdos who he mistakes for in-character cosplayers. The weirdos turn out to be real aliens who take Jason into space, although he doesn't realize it due to his hungoverness. Thinking the whole thing to be an elaborate fan event, Jason assumes the role of Commander Tagger and interrupts a real negotiation with real alien warlord Ceres by shooting his spaceship full of missiles. It isn't until the aliens send Jason home in the space pod that he realizes what just happened. Jason rushes to his fellow cast, bumping into Brandon and accidentally trading communicators, Jason attempts to convince the cast to go with him as the alien weirdos show up to take Commander Taggart back for more negotiating. The cast refuses at first until they realize this could be a potential paying gig and I demand to go so with much. Jason.
0: Like, that was such a like good like yeah. um, meta move where it's like, they're actors. Of course they're going right. to do anything that looks like a job. Right,
1: that beat of like, you don't think they were paying like or you don't think it was a gig do you and they all just kind of sit there and then rush out of the van it was a good beat um so they demand to go with Jason however they are in for quite a surprise when they are space potted up to a spaceport everyone seemed shocked except for Fred Kwan who takes uh, pretty well to the whole situation <laughs> Uh, next they are led to the protector 2, a recreation of the ship they flew on their show tommy weber acts as the pilot and manages to get the ship out mostly in one piece the crew flies to negotiate further with saris who survived the initial negotiations Uh, jason tries to trick and attack saris again but saris attacks first blasting away at the protector 2. Tommy puts the ship into turbo, but the ship can't take it for too long and stops right out front of a magnetic minefield. The ship manages to escape by uh, entering the minefield, although the beryllium sphere, which charges the ship, takes heavy damage in the process. It is discovered, though, that there may be beryllium spheres on a nearby planet with a mining colony. The main crew goes to investigate and discovers there are spheres there, but there are also miners. Which happen to be small childlike looking creatures that appear cute but are actually very dangerous, which the crew find out by observing as they attack and eat one of their own who is wounded.
0: <laughs> I love that scene so much because they made the aliens look really cute. Right.
1: <laughs> My favorite line in the whole movie is when uh, Sigourney Weaver goes, Let's get out of here before one of those things kills Guy. It's so funny that, like, they're not even concerned for their own safety. They're concerned for Guy, who's clearly the first one who's going to go. Well,
0: yeah, because Guy, played by Sam Rockwell, right. has the meta he's... intelligence to know that he's the type of supporting character. Yeah, who he's died. the red shirt. Yeah, he dies to let everyone know that it's serious. Do I have
1: a last name? Do I? <laughs> um,. So they're led by Jason, and the crew manages to seal a sphere, and they are chased to their ship, where Jason is left behind and captured by the miners. He's woken up by a pig lizard-like creature, and the miners are all watching nearby, chanting. Jason fights off the creature as the crew debates whether or not they should teleport him up to the ship and trusts what could be faulty equipment. They test it out on the creature first, which turns inside out and explodes, The miners continue to chant, then quickly disperse as a giant rock monster assembles and towers over Jason. Jason runs away and encourages a panicking Fred Quan to beam him up. Fred makes lovey-dovey eyes with the alien Liliari and finds the courage to beam Jason up at just the last minute. Just as the crew celebrates, Ceres boards the ship and discovers the Galaxy Quest crew to be actors. He makes... Oh, this part is so badass. Uh, He makes Jason explain it to the alien commander, as you would a child. It's such a great, like... Even though this movie's a comedy, like, Ceres is a real scary badass. It was
0: so funny. Like, that scene was both sad and funny. Right. And, oh, God. And, okay, here, this scene is actually part of my supporting argument that Galaxy Quest, although the R is lowercase and the C is uppercase, sure, still a comedy with romantic elements, and it has a plot that... Rom coms use all the time, which is the great lie. Mm-hmm. And then you have that climactic moment in the movie where the great lie is revealed, and the immediate effect is that it hurts the person who's most important or one of the most important people to the protagonist, which is Malthazar. Like, it breaks his heart. Oh,
1: it's so sad. He
0: breaks his heart.
1: Yeah, but I also like it because they did try to explain it to him earlier, but they just kind of, you know, they just didn't do enough of a convincing job. Yeah,
0: but he does very deliberate, like like, um, um, Jason is his name. I want to just call him Tim Allen. But Jason does try to tell him at first but then he he realizes that they think it's real and he decides to profit off of it because he's an egomaniac um or an egoist or well yeah
1: they kind of but but like he
0: he leans into it knowing that he's deceiving them right yeah yeah yeah, but then feels bad about it later
1: of course uh, so Ceres locks the crew in a room without oxygen and sets the ship to explode. He orders his men to blast the Galaxy Quest crew out of an airlock. However, the crew get the jump on the guards and send them out of the airlock instead. Uh, this is what I love. This is, has a very, like, Mission Impossible type vibe mm-hmm. to oh, it. this a like, good
0: procedure moment.
1: Every little character has their own thing to do. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, every person has their own mission to accomplish and like even if the mission is uh, like little baby steps towards the grander mission like everyone's got something to achieve or work towards Uh, Jason and Gwen have to go stop the ship from exploding Fred Guy and Lilieri go to reset the oxygen Alexander and a sneaky alien who looks up to Alexander's character attempts to buy Fred and the gang some time by cracking open the door where the rest of the crew is being held and Tommy practices driving the ship So, everyone exceeds at their own little mission with the help of Brandon and the Questies, a rock monster, and a strength chat. Everyone celebrates until the alien who looks up to Alexander is shot, and as he lay dying, Alexander delivers his character's famous revenge mantra with Shakespearean gravitas.
0: Ooh, I like that Uh, description. Yeah,
1: it's, it's like, I love when movies are comedies. But they also have those moments where, like, they treat the actual drama with real respect. Yeah. So, like, when um, Alan Rickman, who does not—he hates his character, he hates the saying, he hates everything about this situation. When he actually, like, delivers that cool little, like, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya moment— Uh, It's so awesome. He
0: finally understands. Like, for him, it's just a job. It's just a character. He's tired of it, but it means something to people. And he finally has respect for the emotional connection that that fan has. It makes me cry like a little baby every time. (laughs) It's it's a great scene.
1: Uh, So... uh, so, yeah, Alexander leads the rest of the crew to a full on overthrow of Saris's men. The crew reassembles at the bridge and flies back into the minefield to take Saris's ship head on. Saris fires everything he has at the Protector 2, which just as it's about to run out of shields, races past Saris's ship, dragging a bunch of mines, causing Saris's ship to explode, although not before one final transmission can be sent. Dun-dun-dun. oh Then, Fred, who usually is on the lower decks of the ship, enters the bridge and begins shooting everyone. Just as Jason is about to die, he activates the mysterious Omega-13, which turns out to turn back time for him for 13 seconds. Using this knowledge... Jason beats up Fred just as he enters the bridge, and the crew holds him back in confusion as Fred transforms into Ceres and is stopped by the alien commander, Malthazar. Uh, Then we get to the end, which is the Protector 2 is racing at Earth at rapid speeds. The alien crew must depart from the bridge, although Liliari joins Fred on the bridge. Uh, Very nice little touch. Uh, so the crew launches off on its own and into our atmosphere using fireworks that Brandon and the Questies set out for visual guidance. Tommy is able to crash the current convention as the crew exits the crash. No
0: casualties. No
1: casualties. Just a few broken cars and, you know, uh, one scraped up parking lot. That's it. Um, as the crew exits the crash ship, they are introduced by Kevin McDonald. Nice little cameo there. Yeah,
0: kids in the hall. Yeah.
1: Ceres exits the ship, and Jason quickly takes action by shooting him, causing him to explode. Jason takes a bow, then invites his crew to take a bow with him as the convention fans go wild. The end.
0: And he also gives Gwen a big fat kiss. Big
1: fat kiss for Gwen, yeah. Nice little moment there. Um, Yeah, I feel like I could just do, um, you know the old SNL skit, the Chris Farley show? Mm-hmm. Where it's just Chris Farley nerding out on his favorite celebrities. Like, remember when you did this? That was awesome. <laughs> I feel like the podcast could just be me doing that for the rest. <laughs> like, this whole movie is perfect.
0: It It is a perfect movie. And I, I think I told you that I actually... Um, raises up glasses I actually studied this movie in college Um, it was an assigned movie in a literature class and I galaxy quest like it's a perfect movie and it's also so smart like it's it's such a smartly done movie that doesn't rub it in your face either that it's so smart it's not pretentious about it um, but I feel like Galaxy Quest is my exhibit A for my entire argument for why realism as an aesthetic choice doesn't do anything for me at all. Right. Because you don't have to have a realist narrative to capture emotions, to capture experiences oh, yeah. that are real. Um, and and I feel like that's the whole setup of this movie is what is the point of entertainment, what is the point of, of story if we're just pretending right. and the point is that even if it's just pretend even if it's this overblown sci-fi narrative, they still tell the truth about human experience and right. that's what the Thermian aliens really care about um, also I feel like it's it's a good time to reveal that. So I've been asking this question in previous podcasts where mm-hmm. whenever we do a theme based on a location and the question is, if we were aliens... Yeah, and I was the, thinking
1: about that. When, so the, yeah. the
0: truth is, big reveal, it really is the Thermian question. That That question is is totally inspired by Galaxy Quest. And, and it really like, I think like when you ask a question like that, where it's like, if whatever you're reading or watching just came through a shoot and you assumed that these were historical documents, Mm -hmm. what would you then think? For me, that's like a much more interesting position to take than to refuse to suspend your disbelief and just be like, well, this movie does this and like maybe they say this about Marxism or feminism or this or that and you come to a work or or a story already with a point of view Mm -hmm. and a particular perspective. But when you ask like what I guess I would call from this moment, the thermion question, it allows you to say like, okay, what is this story really like? What is it trying to tell you about the world that you're in? Um, Rather than, you know, coming to something with a bunch of assumptions that color the way you think about it. I think like, having that kind of, like, innocent approach can allow you to appreciate something a lot more. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I would just have to say, from a from a more entertainment-based point of view, <laughs> uh, I really dig how this movie's able to, like, go on that sort of, like, goofy entertainment side, but then mm-hmm. use that to... Um, to sell the dramatic moments of the movie, like uh, the score, the fact that they used the Galaxy Quest score... I
0: loved that. ...throughout
1: the movie to be like, isn't this silly? Ha ha ha. Like we're at a convention and the Galaxy Quest people are all, you know, like it's a silly little show. But then when they first show the spaceship for the first time, it's like the Galaxy Quest score and you like it takes on a whole new meaning.
0: It's a nice orchestral swell. Yeah, so... But yeah, like I again, like I feel like it's goofy and and it's funny, but like I really do feel like it's trying to communicate something serious in that like there's like a reason for this entertainment that it does do something for us that's necessary and good and significant. And even while knowing that it's pretend, you can still be in awe of it. That's why it's so, you know, gut wrenching. When, um, is like, explain it to him yeah. like a child, <laughs> because even though that explanation is in a way the truth, right. it's not the whole truth, right. you know, like it's not like just because it's pretend doesn't make it less meaningful, yeah. you know, like it's, it's a lie that tells the truth.
1: Yeah. I also like in movies where a character sort of, you know, the, the lie um, the, bear, the big lie, what did you say, the grand lie? Or the great lie. The or... great lie. I like in movies where it's like um, this is more action-y kind of based, I guess, where a character, their great lie is that they are a mythological type hero. And then by the end of the movie, they actually get to become what they were lying about.
0: Ah. Oh. So it's
1: like I like how um, Jason sort of, you know, he... Sort of says, like, even though, you know, like you're saying, even though it is all fake, even though it is all pretend, uh, no, I can fill those shoes. I can actually become what they think I am.
0: Well, right. And he ends up being the character who, although he has a lot to learn when it comes to um, to being more generous to other people, he right. intrinsically understands um how to be good to the fans mm-hmm. like even though he has a moment where he slips up he understands why the show is so special to the fans and he indulges them in in their their love of the the fantasy whereas it takes like like so his whole character journey is him learning to be less self-centered and right. and to to start to care about his his crew his cast his people but then, um, what is it, Alan Rickman has almost the opposite character journey, where he's already a character or an actor who understands his place on a team of actors, but he has to learn like the reality of what his acting means to other people. Like He, mm-hmm. like he doesn't believe in, in the words that he speaks. They're just lines. It's just fiction to him. It's right. only after he has the whole interaction with the alien that he realizes, you know, like there's a real Im- – like even though the words are fake, the impact is real. It has meaning. It resonates.
1: But it also – it kind of is like he's, he's, he's very much the reluctant hero in that regard. But he also in a way sort of – he's kind of right that like if he said it all the time, it would just lose meaning. Like you know what I mean? That's like true. by saying it all the time, by by giving in to the fans all the time, it would like the phrase kind of just becomes watered down. So when he says it for the um, for the ribbon cutting ceremony, he's just he's so full of <laughs> My disdain grandma's and disgust. Hammer,
0: what savings?
1: <laughs> it's so it's such a great delivery. He plays it so perfectly. But you know, it's like by reserving that moment and by not giving in to every fan all the time and then by delivering it when it actually means the most to him and the most to that fan in that moment it's not just any fan it's the dying fan and the mm. re- it's not just any chant it's like a revenge chant it's like i will avenge you
0: and he means it yeah
1: he actually means he will avenge his death. It's oh, it's so beautiful.
0: He found his character motivation. Yeah. I thought that was a really funny line too. When right. uh, he's getting... Tim Allen is getting chased by the rock monster. And, yeah. and he's like, so what's the monster's motivation? <laughs> and he's like,
1: you never do the important work. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, I also really think it's interesting how this movie, along with The Mask was originally meant to be like a much darker movie. Really? Yeah, this movie apparently was supposed to be a lot darker and more violent. Um, there's a few lines where they had to dub over some swear words.
0: Well, I know that they were going for like an R rating, but I thought yeah. that just meant that they wanted to have more boobs and more swearing.
1: Right. I guess it also had more violence and stuff too, um, oh. which you can see glimpses of it with Ceres and with um, the alien kids and stuff. But um, there's a great moment when um, they see the chompers for the first time, and Glenn is like, "Screw that!" But if you look at her, you can clearly tell she's saying, "Fuck that!"
0: It's so funny. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I think like that and this movie and The Mask are two movies that are really, really, really well done and like.
0: What was the dark version Shilly. of the mask?
1: Oh, it's well, the comic book, I guess, is like a much more dark version where when he goes into mask mode, he's not just like a low-key mischievous character. He's like a full-on psychopathic murderer. So, yeah. Oh, oh. Ooh, oh yikes. When,
0: when are they going to reboot the mask?
1: That, ooh, good question. I, don't I know. feel like
0: 2019 is, is, we're ready for the edgy mask version.
1: Right. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see that. Um, to see if they could kind of get away with that and to see how it would hold up. Because, like, even the Turtles, right? The Teenage Ninja Turtles were originally meant yeah. to be like a darker spoof on Daredevil. Um, but then when they turned it into the Jim Henson movie, <laughs> it's like fun and cartoony. And th- that's another Turtle movie power. where I can only, like, my my preferred version of it is the PG version instead of the R version.
0: I agree. I I haven't seen the Michael Bay turtles. Is that uh, who it is? Ugh, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: He didn't direct it, but he produced it, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I haven't seen the Michael Bay turtles. I've, I've only seen the Jim Henson turtles. Right. So, yeah, I, too, only have that as my point of reference.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, some of the comics and stuff, I guess, that go a little darker. Like... You know, I'm a big fan of really dark, violent, gory, gritty stuff, but sometimes, like, sometimes a movie is just perfectly fine as a wholesome PG comedy fest. You know? Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know. I could have, I could have gone for more swearing in in Galaxy Quest, as long as it maintained that emotional heart. Because right. really, like, like again. Light on the romance, but Galaxy Quest, at the end of the day, is about relationships. It's totally yeah. about relationships, the relationships that make us strong, the right. love that we share. And I mean, yeah, there are parts that are tacked on. Um, like, apparently, the romance between Tony Shaloub and Missy Pyle, um, the alien... That was something that I guess Steven Spielberg visited the set and was like, "You should add this," right. and they added that.
1: Yeah, I saw that too. Where it was, there's kind of some conflicting things on there um, where it's like the producers were basically just like, "Oh crap, we only have one woman in the movie. Uh, well, I guess we kind of have this other woman over here. Give her more to do. Uh, we desperately need more women in this movie." But then I saw that. Um, tidbit about Steven Spielberg, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I think that's part of the joke, right? That there's one woman and right. her job <laughs> is to read the computer. Yeah. It's great when then, she snaps. And then it's like, even I'm doing it. I'm repeating the computer. Um, and and I have
1: one job on this on this ship and it's stupid, but I'm gonna do it.
0: And it's even better because it's Sigourney Weaver, right. Star yeah. of Alien, playing a dumb blonde right. against she's not like Ridley at all, but like even like her wittiness still comes through. Like right. like even though like the character Gwen is supposed to be dumb, she's not really that dumb. Right. Um and I mean they she and Tim Allen had some nice belligerent sexual tension and they mm-hmm. kind of baked it in there where he like kept coming back to right. her and definitely me and I I am those fans that are like so it seemed like Captain Taggart and,
1: yeah. and
0: Lieutenant, Ab- did they ever have a relationship? Yeah, I'm i am that fan, for sure.
1: I thought it was really great, too, when she was like, you know, it's one thing when you do it to us, but it's another thing when you do it to your fans, like the disappointment. Mm-hmm. In them. Uh, yeah, that was really good. Um, yeah, Galaxy Quest, oh man, my what God. a movie.
0: Who was your, so I, one thing I noticed on this rewatch that I didn't notice before was how fucking good the alien supporting actors were, mm-hmm. like, um, particularly Malthazar, Enrico Colatani, yeah. every, like, just, like, every scene-chewing choice he had was amazing. Yeah. Ama- like, there was a point in the movie where instead of, like, like making an expression or responding he just screamed (laughs) (laughs) it was really funny or um I think like another part that I really loved was when like they referenced Gilligan's Island and Malthazar says those poor people
1: (laughs) yeah I guess it was his idea to kind of like elongate his words and stuff like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. That was
0: his... And then the rest of them copied him? Yeah. That's great.
1: Yeah, because it, it definitely adds that, like, they're, they're very close to human, but something's obviously off about them. Yeah. Oh,
0: my God. It, it, who came up with their silly walk? <laughs>
1: I don't know, man. It's so good. Even like when they're running, but they're just kind of like walking faster.
0: Oh, that that yeah. reminds me that again, my my other favorite scene from this rewatch is when the rest of the cast comes up into space and the aliens come into oh, yeah. the room, but they haven't used their human disguises. Right. The aliens And I forgot this about the movie. The aliens are actually giant tentacled octopuses. Right. And the only people in the movie who never see them in their true forms are Tim Allen and Tony Shalhoub. And so when they come into the room, they're like, why is everybody like yeah. acting weird?
1: Yeah. Tony Shalhoub <laughs> plays it. I don't know if that was intended he, for his like character. He was stoned. Yeah, he really did. He, and I think at one point guy asked him like, are you stoned? Um, cause it was great how he's just like totally oblivious almost to the whole situation, but he's having a great time. Yeah, he's kind
0: of like, he's like Steve Carell in Anchorman, where like I wonder yeah. if they were just like do whatever you want, Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, because he,
1: he's got those little moments where like he he gives his his little crew a group hug, or he's like, hey, sorry that door's sticking. I'll get one of my boys to come up and put some WD forty on it. Like he's just got these great little moments. Yeah, that... I was
0: I was trying to understand like what what his character was like meant to be or what he was meant to be like because at one point um jason says oh well you never missed a line or anything so is he just like a sakamoto type where he's a really good actor and nice guy he has he's not like (laughs) sir alexander who has an ego
1: right yeah i think he's just uh like a true professional you know show up get the job done yeah yeah. Maybe. So, uh, now that we know that Galaxy Quest originally had more rated R elements, I'm curious Ooh. to see how your movie takes Ooh. that and runs with it.
0: So, like like you with The Forbidden World, I I spent more uh, experience points on, sure, my, sure. on my rom-com pitch, so I did not have as much left for uh galaxy quest um before i get into the pitch though who do we want to kill oh. from galaxy quest
1: yeah i don't i like i hate to be that guy who says no one but who do you pick
0: i feel like i can only pick Sarus because he yeah. is a discount predator space hitler <laughs> basically.
1: yeah God, I love that moment, though, when he says, you know, explained it as you would a child.
0: Like you would a child. It's so
1: great. Um, and he, like, decapitates his one guy. And, <laughs> oh, man. He
0: was a fun villain.
1: Yeah, he's a great villain.
0: But he committed genocide against That's all the Thermians. They That's were true. all the Thermians that were left.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe I would have to kill Alan Rickman just as like because he's too perfect in this movie. It's like something so so perfect isn't meant to.
0: Perfect. He's even more perfect than Nina in Black Swan.
1: Oh yeah, perfection.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I did it. I was perfect. Um, So much like my previous pitch, um, I. This is not a wholly original project. Okay. Uh, It is partially inspired by um, an episode of um, Love Death. It's like sex, death, and robots, love, death, and robots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But there's an episode of that show called Beyond the Akela Rift. So if you've seen that episode, you know where this is going. Uh, And then also little bit inspired by um the uh uss callister episode of black mirror which i feel like is already kind of a horror movie version of galaxy quest
1: Mm, you've ever
0: yeah if you've ever if you if you want to watch the horror movie version of galaxy quest after this i would suggest watching that episode of black mirror it's great um So I decided to call this Wormholes, and it's going to be short because it's more of a sketch. Um, I didn't break it up into acts. Um, So Brandon, a teenager in the not-so-distant future, is obsessed with a virtual reality game based on his favorite sci-fi TV show, Galaxy Quest. As Brandon is playing the game as Captain Taggart his favorite character, he notices a mysterious wormhole on the map that isn't mentioned in any guides or tutorials on the game. So Brandon decides to go through the wormhole. could be an Easter egg. Mm. After exiting the wormhole, Brandon tries to log out of the game, but none of the logout buttons are showing. He tries to to, uh, talk to the information-giving game NPCs, but they respond like real people instead of AI. Finally, Brandon stabs through the palm of his hand with a pencil and finds that he really stabbed himself. It's proof enough for Brandon that the wormhole led him to an alternate reality, and now he really is Captain Taggart.
1: You Jumanji'd
0: it. I Jumanji'd it. Yeah, I that, <laughs> I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, it, it was it was a total Jumanji move. Yeah. So in Jumanji,
1: this- also uh, the sequel. Is a very much, when I first saw that movie, I mean, I was just expecting it. Sonya and I were expecting it to be a dumb little mm-hmm. whatever. Because um, I had fond memories of the original. I mean, I'm a what rock fan. What year is this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of The Rock, but it was like, all right, whatever. We'll just, we'll get, we'll get this one out of the way. Mm-hmm. But man, Jumanji 2. Really? Oh, it, well, is, it is, I think, like Diet Galaxy Quest.
0: Okay. It interesting.
1: Is, it is a super solid fun movie where the the gimmick becomes like becomes real and it like they use the gimmick but then they kind of add like moments of gravitas to it and it's uh oh, it's so good. But,
0: oh, that sounds really fun. I have to check that out.
1: Uh, so go ahead. Uh, we had Brandon went through the wormhole and now he is Captain Taggart.
0: He is Captain Tagger and then in this universe, the crew is under attack from a parasitic insect alien race trying Mm. to take over the galaxy. Uh, And at first, Brandon, he's so excited to be in a real version of his favorite show... Slash game, and he very quickly abuses his power with the entire crew because he's a teenage boy in the body of a middle aged man (laughs) with a large degree of authority. Sure, (laughs) (laughs) it goes exactly how you would expect, uh, and they end up hating him. Uh, Brandon also loses crew members during critical missions against the insect aliens, making the crew hate him even more. By the time Brandon starts to redeem himself, the crew has had enough of him, so they end up trading the captain for safe passage from the insect aliens.
1: Whoa. They do him dirty. Then you need him.
0: They dose Brandon, and then they chuck him into a pod uh, to the insect alien ship. Uh, Brandon wakes up in the pod, headed to the alien ship, and he tries to steer back to his crew, but then he has to watch as they jump without him. Oh
1: those bastards
0: he's left with no choice but to continue i mean brandon's kind of an anti-hero right um and i think that you know justin long having seen the rest of his oeuvre i feel like he would have nailed this role sure um then he's left with no choice but to continue into empty space or surrender to the insect aliens um the aliens they allow him to continue into space because they're they're pretty sure he's gonna die Um, Brandon keeps wandering deep space. And just as he's about to run out of fuel, he gets pulled into a super mega black hole. And then after a montage of Space Odyssey style images, because I mean, what's a sci-fi movie without that, right? Yeah, Um, we get a first person POV of Brandon opening his eyes. He's still in his room, but it's different something that looks like webbing has covered all the walls and there's like termite mounds, like spires everywhere. And then Brandon looks at his hand and it's all liver spotted and emaciated. And then he starts to walk out of his room uh, and then out of his house. And as he looks around, he sees the entire world is just, covered and conquered by insect aliens and we zoom out as he starts to scream and see that Brandon is now an old man and other people are walking out of their houses and screaming as the insect aliens buzz around in triumph.
1: The end. The end. Yeah, that's it. Feels like a uh, Twilight Zoney. Yes.
0: Yeah, very, very much like a Twilight very Zone Twilight episode. Zone. Yeah. And yeah, if you like that, then you should totally go watch the two episodes I mentioned right. that I combined to rip this off. <laughs>
1: sure. Sure. Yeah, I like it. I like the um, I like the virtual reality twist, and uh, mm-hmm. I like how he sort of makes his own comeuppance by being a dick and getting kicked out of his own shit. He's
0: a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> Giving
1: <laughs> given the authority of a
0: captain.
1: Right, yeah. How else would it go, for sure? Right. I can see it happening like that.
0: Oh, so I'm excited about this! Oh yeah, you, you so, spent some good time here.
1: Oh, I have pages. I have pages. Oh, I can't it. wait. It's so it's very, yeah. I tried to do it justice. Mine is called Escape from Planet, Escape from Planet Prison. Ooh! And you're gonna, you're gonna be able to tell very, very quickly that this movie has a lot in common with Escape from New York. Oh! Which could have been another kind of pick for sci-fi horror. It has horrorish elements, you know. Yes. Um, but
0: i also have a i have a theme category for apocalypse slash like future or dystopian so we could do an apocalypse episode
1: could yeah we could that movie i love that movie so much escape from new york is one of my favorites too um so i'm basically going to start off my movie the same way that galaxy quest starts off with just a little bit more depressing Mm -hmm. Uh, we're still
0: keeping it meta
1: yeah, it's the same startup. It's the same crew. They're going to the same conventions. We deal with Jason and his drinking slash drug problem. Now oh, he's got more than just a drinking problem.
0: He's more in common with Tim Allen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 70s Tim <laughs> Allen. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of set that up. Uh, you know that scene where Gwen and Alex are on the phone mm-hmm. together? Uh, I have that same scene, but we see it from Alex's point of view, and he hears windows breaking in the background As Gwen goes to check it out, and then he can hear sci-fi noises. And then, you know, he's calling out to her like, Gwen, Gwen, is everything all right, Gwen? And, you know, maybe we hear a dial tone, and he's like wondering what's going on. And then he hears his own window break. Oh, shit. uh. So then Jason is passed out, and his alarm is beeping. And he turns off his alarm clock, but the beeping continues. And then he realizes the beeping is coming from his security system. So Jason grabs his grabs a gun, and you know because he's he's into drugs and stuff. So of course he has a gun. He opens his bedroom door and he sees a SWAT team. Jason fires the gun and hits one of the SWAT members, but then he's you know he's easily overwhelmed and taken into handcuffs and escorted to the front door. But as he's escorted to the front door, cops pull up in a cop car. And then the SWAT team reacts, causing Jason to realize they aren't SWAT team, but they're kidnappers.
0: Oh, shit. Whoa.
1: He taunts them as they lead him to the backyard. But just as the cops kick down the door, the SWAT kidnappers all beam up out of the backyard. Whoa. So now we go. you in trouble. I know. So now we go to the crew of the protector who are put on trial for war crimes and the old episodes of the show are used as evidence. <laughs> what? Whoa! Yeah. What? That's so, amazing.
0: <laughs> I love this.
1: So the lawyer pleads guilty, and uh, he doesn't even give the crew a choice. And they try to argue, but they're quickly, like, silenced. You know, like, they don't even care what is the... Is
0: the lawyer, <laughs> like, Justin Long in Idiocracy?
1: Uh, I don't know. I've never seen Idiocracy. Okay. That's one of my big blind spots. <laughs> Um, but uh, they try to argue, but it's like, silence you, uh, and the lawyer doesn't want to hear it. He's like, I just want to get this trial over with, right? Uh, so the crew is sent to a lawless prison planet, and when they get there, they attempt to ask some of the lifers there about any way to get off the planet, but they're quickly laughed at, right? However, one person overhears them and contacts them. This person is Liliari, an alien life form. Um, who approaches them and she says that she knows of a man who's building a ship right but they have to essentially steal it uh, so the crew is reluctant at first but after talking to themselves they mostly decide to do it just then a rival gang to the girl shows up and sees her and they start chasing her so um, Alexander and Guy are separated as the rest of the crew follow the girl the gang Lures the crew to a cave. Um, so this part, like they're in maybe Lori Loriari has a, a vehicle and she's driving out of the town to a desert.
0: Oh, night! Nice. like like the space pod racer. See? Right.
1: So they're driving through the desert, but then something like she notices something in the ground, and then she she tries to swerve, but she accidentally hits it, and that something in the ground is a mine that blows up and causes them to crash. And so they go to a cave, um, but the crew, the, the gang that's chasing them as they enter the cave, um, they stop. And they, they kind of all swarm around the cave, but they don't go into it.
0: Oh, that's trouble. That's
1: trouble. The crew wonders why, but quickly find out is Tommy is grabbed by something, pulling him into the shadows. And as he screams... Uh, It's cut short and buckets of blood and bone splatter from the darkness. Are you killing Tommy first because he's the black character? Well, I don't know who I'm casting. (laughs) I did think about that. (laughs) I I don't know who I'm casting in my movie. So he might, maybe a different character can be black. Um, So then a creature emerges and it's a giant alien centipede. The alien centipede rushes, its mandibles crunching together, and the crew dive out of the way, all except for Jason, whose leg is cut by the sharp jaws of the beast, causing him to topple on top of it. The creature aims for Gwen, and just as it's about to bite her in half, Jason rips off one of its antennae, causing it to divert in the direction uh, leading outside, where the gang awaits. The gang is attacked by the beast, And Jason falls off, calling out to his crew, who all sneak out in the confusion. And just as the centipede dispatches of the last of the gang members, it turns its focus on the crew. But Jason uses the centipede's own antenna as a whip to make it retreat back into the cave. (laughs)
0: That's Uh, a a very Captain Kirk move.
1: Right, yeah. Like, uh, I'm going to rip this thing off of an alien and then use it as a weapon against itself. Pretty badass. Um, so he's starting to take on that captain type role. Uh, meanwhile, Lazarus or, uh, Alexander and Gary are in the sewers and they are attacked by some rats, but then they're saved by these tiny alien creatures that show up and scare off the rats. Aww. uh, the tiny aliens, like Ewoks? uh, well, they, they look really mean, but they're very friendly. So Ooh,
0: like reverse, Ewoks, like reverse
1: Ewoks. So the tiny aliens sort of, um, kind of are like tugging at Alexander and Guy and trying to like get them to follow them. And they're chanting something like, tuck, 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 tuck. But they don't understand what it is. And Alexander kind of freaks out and thinks that, you know, they're trying to attack him. And so he ends up killing the creatures. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he actually takes one of the wrist communicators despite Guy asking him not to. And this will come into play later um so jason and liliari sort of get the gang back together outside of the cave and they go to her hidden base to rest up and just as she goes that you know they have a little moment where they share some character moments um just as she goes to get them weapons she discovers all the weapons are gone and then she goes to tell the crew except they are all being held hostage by the gang so more of the gang members figured out where her hiding spot was shit the gang loads them up and leads them back in the town Meanwhile, under the sewers, Alexander and Guy get separated when a rush of water sweeps Guy away. Uh, Once all is calm, Alexander continues down the path in search for Guy. Up top, the gang is led to a coliseum where they are forced to fight as gladiators.
0: What? Yeah.
1: Liliari takes charge and she sort of kills the first wave of attackers as the rest of the crew is like panicking I
0: like the character expansion you've given Lily already. yeah
1: well yeah she's like a badass gang member who's trying to get off planet
0: she's doing so much I yeah. love it yeah
1: her gang was killed so now she finds the new gang Uh, Down below, Alexander finds Guy passed out. He rushes to his side and he helps Guy up. But as they stand up, they realize they are now surrounded by a bunch of aliens. The aliens are all shouting or chanting like, Tuck, 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 tuck. And Guy tries to convince Alexander that they are friendly and they should go with um, the aliens but alexander reaches out to convince him otherwise and guy's kind of like shrugs him off and as he does the communicator falls off his wrist oh and one of the aliens picks it up and oh. sort of sniffs it and and smells the blood of alien and so then they start shouting something else like shitoth she shitoth she and then they kill alexander
0: what? Yep.
1: Oh, yeah. Big time. And then after they kill Alexander, they point to Guy and they go like, She-toss, she toss, she, toss, she toss. And Guy's like, no, 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 not sheetoth, not sheetoth, toss uh, Tuck, 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 tuck. And they're like, oh, tuck, tuck. And they turn into friendly aliens again.
0: Wait, but it could have been Guy. It, it's Guy's fault, though, right?
1: No, not really. It was an accident. And Guy tried to warn him not to take the risk communicator. So really, mm. Dr. Lazarus or Alexander kind of brought it on himself. Um, so the aliens bring uh, Guy back to their lair, which, like, they're scavengers, so they just got a bunch of junk laying around. Mm, that and this sounds is going to be cool. Oh, yeah. And this is kind of a Wally moment where, like, they bring him to a crate. And he's like, oh, let me open up this crate. And the aliens are like, whoa, we didn't even know the crate could open. (laughs) And so they open it. So they open it, and it's like a Pulp Fiction-type glow. And all the aliens are like, ooh. And we see Guy's reaction as he looks in, and he's like, whoa. But we don't see what it is quite yet. So meanwhile, at the Coliseum, uh, Liliari is kicking ass as the rest of the crew is like doing their best to defend themselves. Uh, The battle, they battle off a fresh wave of gladiators, and then the crowd goes silent. Um, A cage lowers in from the top, and a few guards kind of like wearily approach. And uh, inside the cage is a rock monster. Did you ever see Thor Ragnarok?
0: No, but I'm meaning to watch it because I like
1: Taika Waititi. Oh, God, that movie's so good. Um, But yeah, there's like a rock monster in that movie, Korg. So my monster is kind of going to be like Korg from Thor. Uh, one of the guards uses a long attachment to unlock the cage, but the moment he does so, the rock monster grabs the attachment and yanks it, and the guard falls down. And then the rock monster crushes his head as the other guard oh, runs away. No. So, like, this rock monster means business, right? Oh,
0: shit. So, when, You're in trouble. when,
1: when the Korg monster steps on the guard's head, the crowd goes wild. They're like, yeah, bloodlust uh and so rock monster and liliari fight uh but the rock monster is winning and just as he's about to kill her jason jumps in and he's sort of able to trip up the monster and then he hits the pulley system that's holding the cage above the coliseum he hits that and it causes the cage to fall and smash on the rock monster's head and uh once again the crowd goes wild they don't care who's winning they just want bloodshed uh, and Jason yells at them. I'm a them.
0: just bleeder. I get that. Yeah.
1: Jason sort of yells at them like gladiator, you know, he's like, are you not entertained? Like, <laughs> is there no one else you can send in? Uh, and just as they say that, uh, a predator type monster shows up and uh, all the crowd draws their weapons at this predator monster. Oh shit. And the predator monster walks in and Jason's like hyped up on his own ego. And he's like, Oh, you know, predator monster, you a big, bad, tough guy. (laughs) And uh, he goes to swing his battle ax or whatever that he's holding at the predator monster. And uh, he is quickly and promptly relieved of his head and spine Uh, so as the crew cowers around Liliari, yeah, so the captain bites it big time, um, Uh, as, uh, (laughs) as the crew gathers around Liliari, who's just waking up from her fight with the rock monster, um, she um the the crew is like hey you all have weapons shoot that thing shoot that thing because it's standing like it's gonna fight the right. rest of them they're like shoot it shoot it but liliari explains that the creature is a kaltiki death stalker and the death stalker is basically like the most toughest creature on the planet you can't fight it come on what are you gonna do uh so the death stalker points to the prisoners and then points out the door And the crowd sort of infers like, okay, it's just here for them. And so the crowd lowers their weapons. And then the, the death stalker sort of, you know, takes them out at gunpoint. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he loads them into his vehicle and takes them to, uh, this is where things get silly. (laughs) Not that they aren't already, but, uh, I combined, I I combined Brandon with the character of the brain from, um, from escape from New York. So they take him to Brandon's lair. And there they meet up with Saris, and Saris is, um, he has a crew, and they find the, sh- um, he has the crew search, or he has his crew search our crew, oh. right? And there they find plans on Liliari for the ship that Brandon is building, but Brandon is supposed to be building the ship for Saris, you know, just like how mm-hmm. in, in uh, Escape from New York, uh, Brain was kind of operating under duress. So uh, Brandon explains that the ship isn't in his lab, but he has a map to it. So Saris orders the Death Stalker to execute the crew. And just as he's about to do it, Guy shows up. And uh, maybe like before when Liliari is kind of explaining to the crew when she originally meets them, she's like, oh, yeah, we have to go to that giant tower over there, right? So Guy has some sort of frame of reference. So Guy shows up and blasts him away with an alien rocket launcher, which was what was inside the crate. Awesome. So, Guy blasts the Stalker to bits, and then his little alien friends attack Sarris' men. Um, Guy attempts to reload his rocket launcher, but Saris kills him.
0: No, not Sam Rockwell.
1: Yep, he bites it. So, in the confusion... Fred, Gwen, and Liliari and Brandon flee together. Saris gives chase. They fight off some of the vehicles chasing them. At, um, in chasing them, it's very like Mad Max meets Escape from oh, New York.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, lots of practical. Events. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: at one point, Gwen is grabbed out of the vehicle, but she sort of fights off her attacker and manages to take over the sort of like Mad Max ATV motorcycle yeah. four wheeler thing. Uh, and then as she and the crew celebrate, she is blown up by Saris in the alien rocket launcher, and then he throws it away because he's out of ammo. So they notice that they're in familiar territory as they leave the city and they swerve into the minefield and avoid, you know, who's um, driving manages to avoid all the mines. But Saris crashes into one and he's flung to the entrance of a cave where a glowing pair of eyes light up and an alien centipede screeches can be heard. Ooh, so we got a little bit of comeuppance there. So then Brandon leads them to the rocket, but stops Fred just short of entering the the ship, explaining that the rocket is only big enough for one. What? What? So Brandon was going to betray Saris the whole time. He gets in and launches off, but he is promptly shot down by the police force, which monitor the planet. Uh god so fred and liliari oh, get back into their mad max style battle car and they drive Are they
0: the only ones left yeah
1: and Ugh. they but they drive off into the sunset hand in hand car loaded up with weapons and liliari says something along the lines of like you know that's not the only lead i had on getting out of this planet whatever
0: sequel yeah so There's we set up sequel. the
1: we set up the movie for a sequel which of course is a staple of horror movies But, um, yeah, I thought I'd take the exact same premise of Galaxy Quest, only instead of being historical documents. It's war crime Tribune.
0: <laughs> I like that. The, <laughs> I just like the idea of them having to explain that their war crimes <laughs> right. were actually TV episodes.
1: Right. Well, they can't explain. They like never a get a child.
0: A, they never get a chance
1: to defend themselves. Right. It's very much a, my, one of my favorite moments in a movie is the uh, the the trial scene in um, um, Planet of the Apes. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, it's so good. The original Planet of the Apes is like this really wacky, crazy Oh, I've
0: seen. Yeah. Right. I guess I don't remember that. Uh,
1: at the part. near the end, right before he's let go, he kind of goes on trial and he has to defend himself and like justify his actions and he's like, "I'm not a madman. I'm a scientist myself and you know what you're doing is wrong." And it's pretty cool. He's like in the middle of this like quasi action movie, he has to like go on trial.
0: So, yeah. I do like trial scenes. <laughs> that that is a fun part in movies. I I love it. I would totally watch the Galaxy Quest: Escape from the Prison Planet.
1: Yeah, and I had a really hard time killing all these characters, but
0: you gotta you
1: gotta gotta off them. You, you know? did it. <laughs> yeah. You gave
0: them some good kills. Too. Yeah,
1: as long as you die a good death, it's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. By Grathmar's hammer, <laughs> right? Right. Gr- Wait, how does it? How is it pronounced? Uh,
1: Grabthar. Grabthar. Yeah, by okay. Grabthar's hammer.
0: Yes, that was great. No, I I I think that that was time well spent. Yeah. On that on that pitch, I loved it.
1: Yeah, everything had to set up into something else, or like each scene had to have like a like a you know when they're chanting rock moment. I love that moment where it's like, wait, why are they still chanting?
0: Yes. It's I yeah. I also like that both of us chose to take two different supporting characters and make them the protagonist of our yeah. remix. And it's interesting that I chose Brandon, but then you chose Liliari. Right. Yeah, I
1: thought uh, Yeah, I thought I'd thought i give her a little bit more to do.
0: For sure, for sure. I feel like Missy Pyle in general deserves more to do because she's yeah. really funny Yeah. I mean, she didn't have that much to do in Galaxy Quest, but she's a really funny actress. Yeah. So, shall we get into Love Bites?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Let's get into some Love Bites. So, for my part, I decided that I would choose a couple of Love Bites that, for me, exemplify some of the best intersections between sci-fi and romance. Okay. Rarely do the two end up hand in hand, um, or if they do, it's it's you know, it takes a backseat. but there are two TV shows that I think do sci-fi and do romance really well. Uh, the first show, I have a history with this show. Sure. I, I watched it through two two different relationships with fans. Um, and I wouldn't have watched it if they didn't make me. Uh, but it's Battlestar Galactica,
1: Okay. the new one.
0: Yeah. Did you ever watch BSG? Never, never seen never, a single never...
1: episode of any iteration. Yeah.
0: You know, it's um, it's an older show, so the special effects aren't great. Right. Um, but the not the super old show, but the Battlestar Galactica remake that most of us know is a really great show. The first season is amazing. Mm-hmm. The second season's kind of brutal. but then the third season, if you can make it through to the third season, they like gotcha. you know like they clear the board, reset the pieces, yeah. everything is different. Like I love that when a television show after they've been doing the same thing for a couple of seasons, completely just just right. changes the rules. Uh, and without giving you any spoilers that happens in Battlestar. And uh, there are a lot of romantic relationships on the show. Like, I'm sure that on the internet somewhere is a map of all the love connections between the characters. But what makes the romance in Battlestar, you know, nice and spicy is the fact that the plot of Battlestar hinges on there being clones in the world. Mm
1: -hmm. These
0: robots, these Cylons that are just endless copies of these 12 Cylon types. And so the person you thought you fell in love with might just be a robot clone. Whoa. And then somebody else you know could fall in love with a different robot clone from the same model. Right. It, it, it makes for some, some interesting, awkward situations. Uh, and then the other show that I would recommend is Fringe. Have you ever seen Fringe? I have
1: not seen that one either.
0: So between the two shows, you might enjoy Fringe more because there is a crazy doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the major characters in Fringe is a kooky doctor who believes in Fringe science. Right. And in this world, Fringe science is real, obviously. So there's alternate universes, you know, um, cryptozoology and and all that good stuff and joshua jackson for you dawson's creeks fans but the central romance in fringe i found to be really satisfying and although fringe is produced by the same people who did lost i think that they reacted so like people reacted so negatively to the end of lost that when they did fringe I swear to God, this show answers every single question they pose. So by the end of this, by the end of the entire series, if you had a question at the beginning of the show from season one, guaranteed is going to be answered by the end of the series. Not always is that like, I don't know if that kind of reaction is is better than the whole, like we're going to present a bunch of mysteries that never get solved. I feel like there's like the, the, the The solution is somewhere in the middle, but Fringe decided to be extreme and just answer every single question they ever posed in the show, right. uh, which I found to be pretty <laughs> interesting from a story standpoint.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen a show where it ends on like total closure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I yeah, Fringe is I mean, maybe there's some ambiguity, but like in terms of like all the show's central mysteries, right, pretty much everything that requires an answer gets mm. an answer.
1: Hmm. That's kinda good though.
0: Yeah, no, I and again, like I said, BSG and Fringe have solid romantic plots.
1: Gotcha. Hmm. Um
0: Let's hear your love bites.
1: Yeah, so my love bite is going to be... I finally caught up with Genndy Tartakovsky's Primal. Oh. Uh, have you heard about this? No, not oh, at all. Oh, man. So apparently it's going to be a 10-part sort of miniseries. Okay. But right now it's just the first five parts were released. So it's five episodes. Each episode is like 22 minutes. So it's very easily bingeable. Um, and you know Genndy Tartakovsky, he did Dexter's Laboratory, Powerpuff Girls, he did Star Wars, The Clone Wars.
0: Samurai Jack?
1: And Samurai Jack, yes. Uh, so I'm a huge Samurai Jack fan, and uh, Primal sort of seemed to be like a return to form.
0: Oh, this is the new cartoon that's yeah. on Adult Swim. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So oh. it's about a caveman and a T-Rex who team up and sort of have to fight it's to like survive. It's Yes, just like Turok. Um, And so, yeah, it's five episodes. The first episode is, you know, even though humans and dinosaurs never coexisted together, it's pretty grounded. And, you know, it starts off on a pretty normal sort of I can meet that halfway. But uh, by the end of the fifth episode, the show sort of exponentially goes into more and more batshit crazy territory.
0: You say batshit crazy, and that makes me want to watch it immediately.
1: Yes, and when I say exponential, I mean exponential. It uh, each episode kind of one ups itself in an amazing way. Um, but uh, the show is really violent, and not just Good. not just violent, but it's like brutal. It's just downright brutal. And the moment uh, the the show's got a lot of like really sad kind of depressing that maybe not depressing is the right word like um,
0: isolation
1: no it's just got like i don't know it's just got really real moments of like you know sadness and um uh you know it's just re- it's a real downer sometimes but in Aww. the in the glue the holding it all together are these moments where the the caveman and the dinosaur are kind of like a boy and his dog they kind of you know they have an antagonistic relationship at first like um who is your your smuggler and your secret oh, princess like like
0: Barb and Drake
1: yeah like Barb and Drake they kind of are like uh, antagonistically friendly at first but then they slowly start to develop <gasps> a bond and click and it's like they team oh, love up it. and uh that's yeah that's some catnip oh it's so good um and it's pretty much all done without any dialogue the only quote-unquote dialogue in the show is when the caveman yells um so yeah if you like samurai jack and you want more violent and bloody and brutal action from that guy primal very uh very good stuff it ends on quite a cliffhanger too so hopefully we'll get those next five episodes pretty quick they
0: got ordered to another season because that sounds great yeah
1: it's uh good stuff
0: All right. Yeah, I definitely, you sold me. I got to check that out. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I guess that is it for this week. We'll see you next time.
1: See you next time. Bye.